I'm Lindsay Gensel, and you're listening to Let's Be Honest. You'll wake up for about 25,000 mornings in your adult life, give or take a few. 25,000 mornings. Now, depending on your outlook, that could seem like a lot or a little. But that's how James Clear lays it out. 25,000 mornings. How do you take advantage of as many as possible? It's something James has committed his career to, studying productivity. He's an author and a speaker who offers up science-based tips on self-improvement, focusing specifically on habits, decision-making, and human potential. His newsletter reaches more than 400,000 people, and through his website, jamesclear.com, he shares his experience with trying to live better. We all use 24 hours every single day. Um, everybody is using every minute, and time is what makes our lives. So figuring out how to use that time more effectively um, seems like the type of thing that would be useful for any person uh, to figure out how to master if living a good life or living a life that matters to you, whatever that happens to mean in your particular case. If that's important to you, then uh, learning how to use that time effectively is central to figuring that out. As he puts it, I don't have all the answers, but I'm happy to share what I've learned so far. His work has been featured in the New York Times, Entrepreneur, Time, and on CBS This Morning. That's where I saw him back in February. He was on with Gail, Nora, and John talking about the two-minute rule. The idea of focusing on just starting something rather than worrying about whether or not you'll finish it. If you listen to the first episode of Let's Be Honest, you know I'm a procrastinator. So when James started talking about the hesitation that comes with starting something and the obsession we have with outcomes and results, my ears perked up. I reached out and he was gracious enough to give me 10 minutes of his afternoon. That's an important detail to remember for later. For James, looking at productivity starts very simply by examining habits. Habits are just behaviors that are repeated uh, over, you know, uh, over and over again. And because of that, they end up doing a couple things. One, the effects of your habits compound over time. And what I mean by that is the same way that, that money multiplies to the power of compound interest, the effects of your habits multiply as they get repeated. He breaks it down like this. If you were able to get 1% better each day over a year, you would end up nearly 37 times better by the time you're done with it. He says that while in the moment it might seem like nothing, those small choices have the possibility to make significant change. This can be things like uh, individual things, like love compounds as you uh, build better relationship habits. The culture and a company compounds as habits are replicated throughout the organization. And it's true in many different areas. But the idea is that the effects of these choices are not one, two, three, four. They're not linear. Um, They actually multiply in a a way that's bigger than that, even if it isn't truly exponential the way that financial uh, compound interest is. On James' website, he breaks down the three R's of habit formation. It's a framework that's been proven over and over again by behavioral psychology researchers. It looks like this. One, there's a reminder. That's a cue or the trigger that starts the habit. Two, the routine, the action you take, meaning the habit itself. And three, the reward, the benefit you gain from actually doing the habit. And of course, if the reward is positive, you're more likely to continue doing it. As you repeat these actions, they are like casting a vote for the type of person that you believe that you are. So each little action is a vote for that type of identity. So each time you write, you are a writer. Each time you practice the violin, you are a musician. Each time you go to the gym, you are an athlete. And if you repeat those habits enough, then you start to believe that about yourself. You start to internalize that and think, yeah, I am a writer. I am a musician. And this is, I think, the true power of habits is that they give us a way, a method through which we can reshape our sense of self. We can learn to believe new things about ourselves and become 
a new person. Um, and that power is, is really great because you can carry that identity into any situation that you face and start to feel uh, more confident, less vulnerable, or uh, more self-assured and less uncertain. And um, our habits are the method through which we develop those beliefs and condition ourselves. Casting a vote for the person you are. I know I personally struggle with this. I've run two marathons, the most recent grandmas in June. But I have a hard time calling myself a runner. I worry that because I don't do it consistently enough that I shouldn't be able to call myself one. So I appreciate the way James connects completing a habit with a positive reinforcement. Do I have to win a race to be a runner? Do I have to publish a book to be a writer? For most of us, those things will never happen. But we can still make ourselves better by committing ourselves to our passions, to our goals. Let's go back to something that stood out to me on last week's episode. If I never finish, you can never judge me. That was a quote from my guest, Dr. Joseph Ferrari, referencing one of the many reasons why human beings procrastinate. For a lot of people, that hesitation is fueled by the potential outcome and results. What's going to happen if I do this? What if it isn't exactly what I want it to be? Even what if it ends up being so good and I don't know what to do next? Those questions can cause people to abandon certain activities. The two-minute rule is one of James's methods for stopping procrastination. In a sense, every habit is just a behavior that you start again and again. Um, you know, if you start going to the gym today and tomorrow and the day after that, then at some point you're going to say, oh, I have a habit of, you know, going to the gym and working out. So the key is to make starting as easy as possible. It can be tough for people to latch onto this idea. James says the message that showing up is just as important as what you accomplish runs counter to cultural narrative, as well as our own personal instincts. Everybody wants better results. What we don't realize is we think we need the results to change, but really we need the habits behind those results to change. And the reason I say that is because a habit must be established before it can be improved. And so starting is the most important thing because everything after you start is just optimization. We tend to optimize for the result, but actually we should be optimizing for the starting line. For so long we've been told to look at the big picture, but what if just doing something, one little thing, could be more effective in the long run? If you have a habit of going to the gym every day, then figuring out how to improve your fitness or have a better exercise routine, it's actually possible to optimize that. If you're just on the couch, then it's just a dream. Um, and so making it as easy as possible to start is key. And my favorite way to do that is with the two-minute rule, which essentially says you should downscale any habit into just two minutes. Um, so, you know, doing the laundry becomes fold one pair of socks or meditate for a half hour becomes meditate for 60 seconds or, um, you know, go for a three-mile run becomes tie my running shoes. You might be saying doing something for two minutes seems worthless. But think about it this way. We'll use meditating. You meditate for 60 seconds. You're doing it. You're in the groove. You're more likely to keep doing it once you've started because of the effort you put to get there in the first place. You've closed the blinds. You've laid down, turned off your phone. Whatever steps you took to actually get to meditating, that's the commitment you've shown to the habit. Like with running. I know the first two miles are always my hardest. It doesn't matter how long I'm planning to run or even if I want to be there in the first place. Those first two miles are brutal. That's the time it takes my body and my brain to commit to what's happening. And once I'm beyond that point, I want to keep going until I either have run out of time or my body's thrown in the towel. 
And James has a similar mindset when it comes to his habits surrounding exercise. I have a personal one where every evening after I get done with work, the only thing that I focus on is changing to my workout clothes. And I know that if I do that, even though it's only going to take two minutes, then this whole cascade of good behavior comes from that with going to the gym and working out for the next hour and so on. Establishing habits, or even changing bad ones, is crucial to finding success when it comes to productivity. The example I love, because I can relate to it, is a messy bedroom. You can clean your room, you can put away all of your clothes, make your bed, vacuum the floor, and your room is clean. But for how long? If you don't establish better habits, putting away your clean laundry right away after it comes out of the dryer, or even making your bed every morning instead of just when guests come over, you're going to keep finding yourself with a messy room. Achieving a goal only changes your life for the moment. So, you know, we think it's all about getting this result, but in truth, results are just points in time. And anybody can get lucky in one given instance or unlucky in another. If you make it all about the result, then you miss the process behind the problem. It's like, uh, it, it would be like a doctor treating a symptom, but not the cause. Um, you change the outcome for the moment. You change how you feel maybe today, but if you don't change the cause, then you're going to feel sick again tomorrow or next week or next month or whenever it is. A while back, I was talking about habits with my friend Kate O'Reilly, how using our smartphones can be a great way to instigate a new habit and remember to actually do it. Like filling up your water bottle every morning at work. Sure, you could write a note and leave it on your desk, and you might see it every morning and maybe remember to do what the note says. Or you could program a daily reminder in your phone's calendar to tell you at 9 a.m. to walk up to the kitchen and get yourself some water. You know that device that's always in your hand? It can be used for good when it comes to establishing habits. But you'll be shocked to know cell phones can be detrimental to one's productivity. In fact, James has what some might consider to be an extreme view when it comes to the role cell phones should play in our daily lives. Each day, what I try to do is keep my uh, phone in a different room from my office for uh, until lunch. So I have at least like three or four focused hours where I don't have my phone on me, and I can actually respond to my agenda rather than everybody else's agenda with my phone beeping and buzzing with text messages or emails or whatever. Now, that's not possible for everyone. As a radio producer, my cell phone tends to be my lifeline when I'm booking guests in the morning. But I love the way James used the phrase, I can focus on my agenda and not everyone else's. It's a little overwhelming to think of it that way, but it's true. How often are we using our cell phones to accomplish something for someone else, even just responding to a text message? This might be a hard pill for some of us to swallow, but in order to change a bad habit, you have to add some friction between you and that bad habit. If yours is your cell phone, it might mean deleting what's on your phone that's sucking you in. So if I want to browse social media less, then I should either, you know, I could remove those apps from my phone and then download them each time I want to use it. And that's just enough friction that, like, if it's going to take a minute or two to download the app, maybe I'm not going to mindlessly tap it. I'll only download it if I really want to look at it. I actually gave up Facebook once for a month, and I deleted it off my phone to help hold me accountable. But I'll be honest, there were a couple of times where I caught myself downloading the app. And James is right. It's an added step. Added time, and while it was downloading, I remembered why I had deleted the app in the first place, and I stopped it. James has found putting his phone on silent in another room is just enough added friction between him and the bad habit that it stops him from allowing it to interrupt his productivity. Here's where things get scary when it comes to productivity and our cell phones. Americans are checking their phones every 12 minutes. That's 80 times a day. Some studies even suggest the average human spends more than four hours on their mobile device each day. Google cell phones and productivity and you'll be inundated with study after study about how bad our mobile devices are at distracting us from the task at hand, even when they're shut off. 
It isn't slowing down or going away, so the only method to make sure it isn't affecting our productivity is adding some friction. It essentially becomes impossible to live a proactive life if you're surrounded by a reactive environment. And technology increases the number of cues in our environment, so we're always reacting to things. And even if your phone buzzes and you decide, I'm not going to respond to that message right now, you're still reacting to it. It's still taking up mind share and requiring you to make a choice. And so by altering your environment to reduce the number of cues, you give yourself the opportunity to be more proactive, to start operating more on your agenda and less on whatever agenda happens to be inserted into your life um, based on the, the current moment. Let's end on a positive note, because railing on a bad habit is not how I want to end this podcast, as I reach my phone, of course. If you haven't been to his website, check it out, jamesclear.com. He offers up advice and research on so many different topics, like the 25,000 mornings we have to take advantage of as adults. One suggestion James offers up to help you get the most out of your morning routine is managing your energy in the morning, not your time. He says you've likely noticed you're better at certain things at certain times of the day. He's found his creative energy is at its best in the morning, so that's when he schedules his time to do his writings. On the flip side, he leaves his afternoons open for interviews, phone calls, and emails. He's consistent about sticking to the schedule that works for him. Maybe you're full of energy in the morning and can hit the gym. Good on you. I'm not one of those people. Mornings are tough for me. But I'm working on one of his other suggestions. Prepare for the day the night before. I'm a night owl. I function best later in the day. So things I can get done the night before that might make my morning easier, I'm all in on. You just have to find the schedule that works best for you. A personal takeaway from working on this episode. It was eye-opening for me talking to James and realizing how big of a distraction my cell phone is for me. And since I can't park it in a room every morning like he does, I'm going to try putting it away when I get home from work. On weekday evenings when I come home from work, I'm going to put it away in hopes that that wasted time helps me be more productive on things I want to be getting done around the house. Now, I'll be honest, I might have to have John hide it from me, but that's the plan for the rest of August. I'll keep you up to date on how it goes. Coming up on next week's episode of Let's Be Honest, a very candid conversation about mental health and the courage it takes to be open and upfront about it. Patrick Donnelly is a dear friend of mine, and we'll sit down at Surly Brewing for an extended version of Let's Be Honest that you can listen to on August 13th.